and welcome. It's Thursday, January the 28th. I guess this month is <laughs> almost over. Brent, thanks for joining. Thanks for everyone for listening. I have a couple articles I wanted to, to mention, and I'll share them here. You can go read the articles on the website. We're thinking about acreage, getting in this idea of the acreage debate. One of the most important, I guess, benchmarks that you and I think a lot about, Brent, are all the acres that are harvested in the world. And when things are really profitable in agriculture, guess what? The world brings acres into production. So we've been watching this. The thing that we've seen is, you know, there's, I guess, two big expansions, one during the 70s, one during the corn China expansion. And what we've seen in the last few years is an uptick. And so really in the last year to 18, 24 months, an uptick, we're right now at almost 2.4 billion acres harvested around the world. It's it's up, up from almost 2.5 or excuse me, 2.35. So it doesn't seem like it's a lot, but when you when you look at the data over time, when you have five to 10 years of these expansions, like we just saw, you start to put together a 12, 13, 14, maybe 15% increase in total acres in just a, a decade or so. But the cure for high prices is high prices. Well, how is that true? Well, enough economic incentives, producers intensify production, they get more yield on the acre, but they also extensify and they add more acres to production. So this is what's been going on. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Brent. Well, I was going to say, if you go back to that graph, this is a really important graph because it explains what's happened in agriculture so very well. You know, here's a big run up. First one in the 70s, prices tanked, we overproduced, they're flat. Here's new demand from Asia and ethanol takes it up, we hit the probably overexpanded for demand, then this one is the really interesting increase because that to me is a real question. So why is that happening? One, if you think about South American production, it's exceedingly profitable down there right now. Why so? Because, partly because of the trade war. So China just bought all their soybeans from South America drove up prices, currencies weak down there. Tremendous, tremendous profitability. So they want to expand like mad. I'll say this, normally we overexpand and it takes a long time to deal with all of that. It's going to be a real question as to how steeply that keeps going up. And it's something you definitely want to watch because it defines supply. There are a lot of ways to slice and dice this data. It goes back to the 60s. They track it for every country. I try to dip into the weeds just a little bit. But what we've seen over the last few years is, I don't have the marker here, but yeah. what we've seen is that this gray line, which is the former Soviet Union, there was a stabilization from about 14 to, to 2017. And then it's ticked up. We've seen a stabilization in South America and it's ticked up. We saw actually, we saw an uptick in South Asia. The only country that hasn't, a region that hasn't seen an uptick is North America, a la prevent plant. So it's actually interesting. Like if we were probably to have normal planting conditions in North America, that uptick would probably be even higher. So I think all signs point to at least two years of expansion, right? I think 2021, we're going to see more acres harvested. I fell into the wormhole, Brent. And so I got really carried away. I said, okay, you know, how many acres around the world are we harvesting by crop? So take a guess as to which crop we harvest the most acres of. I would have missed this one. It's 550 million acres of wheat and it's followed by rice. I actually thought rice, or excuse me, followed by corn, 485, and then followed by rice at 400. I thought rice was closer to the top. I then looked at, you know, where we added acres, thinking about since 2000 into 
most currently, all the acreage is, I guess not all of it, but 80% of it's been to corn and to soybeans. We've added a lot of acres, but it's mostly been to these two crops. And then I broke it down by, here's a, like a two by two matrix, right? What regions and what crops are we adding? There's a lot of lessons to take away from here. 100 million acres in the last 20 years in South America. About 74% of those are soybeans, a little bit of corn, 24 million acres of corn. I also looked at North America. So North America added corn acres. They added soybean acres. They added rapeseed acres. But they dropped a lot of wheat and they dropped sorghum. So how did North America behave? Well, we mostly moved deck chairs around a little bit. The other big country that stands out is the former Soviet Union. Man, they added a lot of corn. They added a lot of soybeans. They added a lot of sunflowers and wheat. They added 50 million acres, so half as much as what South America and then Sub-Saharan Africa as well. They're another big country adding. So this is part of this narrative of North America added 8 million compared to 100 million in South America. So we're just not in the market share game for a lot of reasons. You know, we don't have a <laughs> we don't have the land rushes like we used to have, or we don't have these huge vast areas of untapped resources where I guess South America and former Soviet Union and other parts of the world do. But the takeaway here in my mind, and Brent, you can jump in, is be careful with these narratives. So we hear about South America adding acreage, and they add acreage more frequently than the rest of the world, but they even pause in certain times in history. And then there's the global story. So when you have several regions adding acreage, this starts to be this global story. And then even though we added acres, we didn't add acres to everything. There's several crops that have fewer acres than they did in 2000. A majority of these acres got added to just two crops, corn and soybeans. Yeah, it speaks to the demand for those two crops. It's Soybean is actually such an amazing story because if you would go back probably to 1970, the acreage of soybeans is pretty minimal in the world, I think. And, you know, South America had 74 million acres. That, that's just kind of mind-blowing, almost as much as we'll produce in the U.S. They added. It's, it's just, it's mind-boggling. You know, it's going to have repercussions ultimately at the, in, the, in the long run. What's the takeaway here? Global acreage expansion is underway. We're expanding the factory. The U.S. is late to this tight supply stock story. And so we'll see how long this plays out. But we are responding. And I guess to me, that means maybe the end of this <laughs> this excitement might be closer than a lot of us want to think about. Because the incentives have been there for South America for a couple of years, as you mentioned, Brent. And they've already responded. And so we're just, we're late showing up to this party. And we sort of are like, oh man, this is great. We're just having our first year of these budgets that are positive. So the point here is the global signal's already been out there. And so yeah. I, I don't know how long it'll last, but we're late uh, and, and to the party. We missed part of it due to that trade war. I mean, the trade wars really screwed things up uh, more than I think people want to realize. And all you have to do is look at the usage charts to see that, though, and we've been showing those to you. I mean, we've seen some estimates of corn and soybean acreage floating around here in the last a couple different ones uh, in the last few weeks. Uh, and I think we were scratching our head a little bit on the magnitude of those acres. It's going to be interesting to see how that all shakes out here in the U.S. in this year. Because there's some places kind of like, well, how, how, where the, would these acres even come from for us to get to those kind of numbers? So it could be interesting. So 
the Brent, speaking of crazy events in the world, <laughs> I think the thing everyone's talking about are short selling in GameStop and maybe uh, AMC theaters and other <laughs> sides. So Brent, why don't you set this up? And you and I had a conversation earlier and I thought you had some good insights, but so just talk about this a little bit. And then I'll wrap up today talking about something we're sharing in the newsletter this week. I'll wrap up talking about Piggly Wiggly. So go ahead and set the stage. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting situation. What's happened is stock prices of a company, GameStop, that has arguably not the brightest, rosiest future, really started surging. And it started surging because people realized that so much of the stock had been short sold that if they could buy enough of it, then the people who had sold it short wouldn't be able to cover and would put them into a squeeze position. The interesting story I read was that one of the first people involved in the whole thing was a guy named Michael Burry, who, if you remember, if you ever watched the movie The Big Short, actually bought something like, it was like 15% of the company, 5% of the company originally at one point, and then he sent letters to the board saying, you guys need to go buy up. you got $300 million, go buy up a bunch of your stock. And they actually went and did it. And as a result, the number of shares that are tradable dropped dramatically. And it's just was the first step in this squeeze situation. It's really interesting to think about people's attitudes on risk and reward. For instance, when Michael Burry bought his stock, he was buying it for $3 a share. So if you're shorting a stock at $3, think about upsides and, and downside and the to short a stock like that, you have unlimited risk on the downside. You know, if the price go really high, it could go to the moon, in theory. On the upside, you have three or four dollars. So I always find it interesting when people uh, look at bets like that and are willing to do them in large scale. And of course, there are some that are wishing they hadn't done that now. What looked like a sure thing, I'm sure at some point, just went parabolic the other way and now has, you know, bankrupting some smart people. So it's, it's just interesting. So when Michael Burry was doing these about April, right, is it when the article that we were reading, he started, like, I think $1.50, $1.80 up to $3 was the price range. And then this fall, they got to $7, $8, $12, And now it's at 300 or something. And so you think about like, oh, when they were making these bets, whenever they were making these bets, it's the idea of like, well, there's a low probability of this occurring. The upside or the, the actual cost was astronomical, right? Uh, no one would have thought that going from $3 to 300 was possible, but it was still a possibility. And this idea of, you know, you can't be all in all the time is true. Like if, you know, the probability of that one event happening was probably low, but if you're making these types of bets every day of your career, you're going to find some unpleasant experiences. So I don't know. It's, I'll wrap this up with the story of Piggly Wiggly. So there's this book called Business Adventures. It's an older book, but it tells 12 older stories. And every time I read that book, I kind of walk away from it like, oh, that was interesting. I'll never think about this again. But then these events happen that remind me of like, oh, this is old. So 100 years ago, the first kind of idea of a supermarket or a, a store where you used to hand the person your list and they'd go behind the shelves and get it. Well, this flipped the model where you'd go down the aisles and get your stuff. Piggly Wiggly was getting um, short sold and the owner was from Tennessee and he was very upset. So he gets on a train with $10 million that he borrowed from his <laughs> friends and literally in a suitcase, $10 million rode the train to New York to take on Wall Street. And, you know, he had a very similar story to GameStop. He went in and was quietly buying these shares and, and he had a very elaborate plan to how he was going to play this out. So 
I'll include a link to a Twitter thread that summarizes it's pretty good. You can go read the book. I recommend it. It's one of those books where it, the more time you you, know, you read it, and then it's going to be really valuable down the road for you. Um, but here's a takeaway that I want to leave you with is, one, this is nothing new. Um, in fact, Brett and I were kind of laughing. In a lot of ways, you can take every one of Michael Lewis's books about business. And what's happened in the last week and a half is almost every one of these Michael Lewis's books, even Michael Burry was a yeah. character in one of the Michael Lewis's other stories, right? But then this idea of a short, short squeeze was 100 years ago is whenever this story happened with Piggly Wiggly. But the takeaway of Piggly Wiggly is the ending of a short squeeze is always painful. And in the story of Piggly Wiggly, a lot of people think that Wall Street sort of took advantage of the situation and did not help him out of this unwinding position. And he ended up going bankrupt at the end of the story. But the end of a short squeeze is never good. It's always a painful for everybody involved. Yeah. And the rules, as you were pointing out earlier, have a way of changing. So for instance, today, the big controversy on all of the social media is that these trading apps like Robinhood and these others have made it so you can't buy GameStop anymore. You can only sell it, which is interesting, but that tends to be what happens, right? That the rules somehow get changed a little bit, but you know, at some point, somebody is going to sell these guys enough shares to cover all of it. And then the price will probably go back to where... (laughs) Everybody knew it was going anyway. So it's, it's just a wild ride in between and, and certainly a game of musical chairs that you don't want to be the last one left standing. It goes back to the idea the market can be irrational longer than you can remain liquid, right? And so the question a lot of these hedge funds are facing is how long will our quit liquidity last and will the market reach some sort of rationality. I don't think anyone out there thinks that GameStop is worth 300 bucks a share, right? In the long <laughs> run. But the idea is, do you have enough liquidity to get you to that to that point? So, you know, it also reminds me, I mean, in some ways, the oil prices going negative was another, it, it was a similar kind of squeeze. It was just on storage space, right? There wasn't enough storage space to store all it. And somebody didn't realize that, you know, you had to take physical delivery of this oil. And if you didn't have your storage space lined up, you want it out because you had no place to to store it. And people figured that out and uh, really stuck it to some other people who didn't really understand what was going on. And who didn't realize oil could trade negative. That was the other thing is everyone's like, oh, it's 50 cents a barrel. It can't go any lower. And it did. There's going to be some people saying, oh, I didn't know the rules. I didn't know the idea of this. How does it trade negative? Well, you really have to think about all of that. So yeah, um, there's, there's risk all over the place and weird because that's another example right they they were thinking about their risk return and going well at 50 cents i've got unlimited upside and the downside is only 50 cents well no in that case you had to read the (laughs) read the fine print because you had to store the stuff and if you didn't have storage for it the people who have the storage can charge a really high price so your downside is way bigger than you realized so always important to know the rules of the game, which is one of those other articles that we have in the site. Well, that's all I have for this week. Update your forecasts. Uh, we're going to keep thinking about acreage. We're going to keep thinking about um, the current farm economy. But thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you all next week. Stay curious. Stay curious.